Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If so, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has a ton of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you. Aww. Along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use! Exclamation point. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours, too. Uh, so do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 138 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for May 1st, 2019. I'm here with my co-host, Mike. We are back in the saddle again. How you doing, Mike? How does it feel to be back? Uh, feels good. Uh, I'm turning 30 tomorrow. Oh, so, shit! Yeah. <laughs> Birthday boy! Yeah. How does that make you feel? I mean, I don't really feel any older, really, than I did the day before. I mean, I mean, the year before. But it's one of those things where I guess I'm starting to notice a few things, like, you know, getting more bruises and stuff in areas where I'm just like, really? Like, what the hell? Like, a giant bruise on my calf? I'm like, what the fuck is that about? And uh, definitely gaining more weight in terms of, like, I can't, I can't really eat the same stuff. Although I still keep eating the same stuff, <laughs> but I should change my diet, but I'm being fucking lazy, but it's one of those things where it's like, I, I, I gain more weight easier than I did in the past, especially around, you know, around my waist, so to speak. Everything else is around the same, but that, that's, that's where the difference is. That's a funny you thing about all those like high school football players, you know, they were all beefy and, you know, popular and all that in high school. And, you know, they're eating like beasts back then because that's what you got to do because your body is just burning fuel yeah. constantly to keep your, you know, get all muscular and play football. Then they stop playing football. They stop working out. They stop exercising, but they're still eating the same amounts of food that they were. And that's why all it seems like almost all former football players are all these fat, just out of shape people well, with, not, with no, well not all former i mean there are ones oh, that, here you know, comes they, the, here they, comes the not all a, mike the, the version I, of mike. i have to because i'm a football guy okay I'm, I'm a football fan you're, you're not a football fan so well, i'm talking about know, high school uh, i'm not talking about professional oh, well yeah i think I you mean, knew I, I meant high school mike yeah i mean with high school that that's uh there's a lot of them that especially if they didn't make it to the nfl which is like ninety five percent of them. <laughs> then a lot of them are are yeah they're they're more than likely you know I, I don't necessarily even believe that they're maybe eating the same type of a menu they're just their metabolism is slowed down and they're just not and they aren't working out. That's why so that's I'm glad why. that I've learned to eat like a bird now. So as I advance into my middle age and old age. Uh, hopefully I can maintain the weight I'm at now forever and not get any bigger. Because yeah. I, I get, I, you know, everyone on, on this podcast, everyone who listens to this podcast has heard me bitch about my weight problems a million times over well, in I mean, the past. For you, I mean, you, you were, 
you were heavy set, you know, like you were, you, you've lost a lot of weight. And then, you know, yeah, when I was younger, I like mean, that's really people heard me bitch about that so much. So it's like, I, yeah. it's clearly something that like is on my mind in the back so of my you mind on diets, you're eating salads and, and fasting and liquid diets and shit. No, <laughs> not, not currently. Low carb. But <laughs> usually what I do is I'll have a very small paleo. <laughs> okay okay we get it <laughs> usually i'll have like uh something low calorie for breakfast like a a steak and cheese burrito which is only 290 calories it's the frozen I'm kind surprised yeah i know i kind of am too but that's what it says on the back of the thing and then i'll have like a big meal for lunch usually like a sub and some chips or something which i guess is big, okay. big to me but might not be that big to most people and then dinner, I'll usually just have a small bowl of cereal. And I mean, Interesting. it's kind of a calorie thing, you know, like if you can stay around for a guy, if you can stay around 2000 calories a day strictly, you know, and not go over, then you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll be at like probably a healthy weight for well, you. Well, also if you, well, I mean, last time I went to the doctor, he was just like, no, you're, you're, you're fine. You're not overweight or anything. It's like, what your, your parents are giving you a hard time over, you know, that's just, that's just a normal sort of uh extra you know weight around it's not really they weren't like oh you're overweight or you're fat it was just like you know really they're giving you issue over that <laughs> so i mean but it is it is definitely i mean i'm i i can't really wear medium shirts anymore really so i've just been doing large shirts well because i saw i saw you that that one video you did for i think it was your college class where you were actually i think i was the first time i ever saw you like stand up like your full body and yeah. I, I never realized how fucking skinny you were. <laughs> I, I'm still skinny. I'm still pretty skinny. It, it's just it's just around my waist. It's weird. Like everything else is pretty skinny. Uh, my arms, you know, everything. Else. It's just I have a weird body type. I mean, I, it's things are very strange with with, with how, how things are with my body. I mean, I got like a, a really long wingspan. I mean, I, I I'm literally touching my calf right now, uh, just sitting down. Like I, I could do that when I'm standing up. Um, and I, it, it's just, and then I have like these really tiny hands and I have these really giant big toes. It's, it's not So evolutionarily speaking back in the caveman times, you would be the guy that the big guy like holds up so you can grab the highest apple in the tree because you're light <laughs> and you have long appendages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're the, you're the gatherer of, of the high, exactly. of the things in high places for, for sure. that for are hard sure. to reach. So, other than, you know, I'm dealing with finals week, I got a few things. Yeah, Mike, what the fuck have you been up, up to? Like, why have you been absent from the podcast? Where have you been? Well, I've, for one, I've been working. Like, my hours have been increasing at work. Uh, they're going to go up even more uh, pretty soon because uh, I have open availability after this week. So, I basically just changed my whole schedule to just complete open availability. So um, They must love you there. They do actually. I mean, my I I talked to my manager uh, recently, and she was like, you know, you're really good up front, and she was like, oh, I'm really glad that you have open avail availability soon because some a couple people are quitting, and and I don't want to hire someone else. And this was and then this so, was all supposed to be a seasonal job, right? This was supposed yeah. to end after Christmas. Yeah, and they kept me on. And so. now look at it, we're in fucking May, and you still mm -hmm. you're still working there. Yep. That's awesome. So, so if I was a customer, my walking, body's not used to uh, doing uh, 
back like seven hour shifts three days in a row though haven't done that in a while so that was a little bit of a of a shock for me yeah like i wasn't expecting that to really drain me as much as it did but yeah, it did. But it's one of those things where if it, it once it gets more consistent, then it, then it'll it'll be no problem. Dude, standing like standing around is very draining. Like gravity just pushing down on you for like hours yeah. and hours at a You'd time. You'd be surprised. Oh no, I know. Like back when I worked at CVS, like they'd have me stand in the same spot for hours. Here's what I do. Here's what I do with a cashier. I have to do this. I walk. I I pace. You know, I move around when you know there isn't a customer. You know, I, I get out of the, you know, off the counter and check to see if there's anything that's left out of place, you know, fix up the front. Like, that's what you have to do. Like, you can't just buy and, and And you can get away with that at, at a place like Michael's. You can't really like at the movie theater, like you can't really move from that spot. You're just stuck there. Yeah. So if I was like a customer walking in, how, how, how do you greet me? Like, do it, it so, like as if you're working right now. OK. All right. Hey, how are you doing today? That's it? Did you find everything okay? Yeah. You know, even how you did that just then, it, it almost sounds like how you start your YouTube videos. <laughs> you, you're like, I've been training for this moment all my life, bitches. Check, <laughs> check this shit out. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> you don't have to say welcome to Michaels? No, I don't have to say that at all. Can you say it if you want to? Uh, I can, but it just sounds weird because nobody says that. Oh, nobody at work says that. that can you say, uh, dude? All right, this is what you do. If a hot chick walks in that you want to like flirt with, be like, "Hey, welcome to my store," and she's she's <laughs> gonna be like, "What?" And no, you, most people most people just just say that in like jokes to me. I was like, "Is this your store?" Ha <laughs> ha. Oh you know, god, and, that's yeah. awful. Or or you know, Mike at Michaels. <laughs> yeah, you know that whole thing. So yeah, I get that quite a bit. No, but I get a lot of people who have actually said, I mean, I get more people who say good things about me than people who don't. Um, I get I get people who, you know, even comment like how fast I am and like how kind and courteous I am and so on and so forth. And so it's like, all right, cool. Well, you actually care about your job, unlike most people who have like a minimum well, yeah. wage job. I like it there. So it's like, and also, when you know, a lot of people in the admin, you know, it, it's. I can take home a good chunk of my income because I'm not like relying upon this to survive or like pay rent. And I would never be able to do that based on this. And yeah, forgive my voice cracking. Like I've been dealing with a, my throat has been sore the past couple weeks. I think I'm dealing with like a little sort of sinus thing. So my voice is Mike, not your voice has 100%. been, your voice has been cracking throughout the whole history of this podcast. You've gone through the longest puberty strain <laughs> I think I've ever heard from another human hey, being. There's been other ones that 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 hasn't cracked. Come on, it hasn't been cracking all the time. I was I was gonna say, oh yeah, like I went to McDonald's the other day to get a McFlurry. You know, I just wanted to get a McFlurry, whatever. Um, and they're not that great. They're okay. They're okay. Yeah, they they really fucked it up this time. I got an Oreo McFlurry. They didn't put nearly bl Blizzard. Yeah, I know, I know. Everyone said that. And you know what's funny is right after me and Stephanie got the McFlurries, we literally drove past a Dairy Queen. And it's like, motherfucker. Like, I, <laughs> if I had known that was there, I wouldn't have went to fucking McDonald's. <laughs> but my whole point behind that is like the worker, the employee there at the, at the uh, cash register was the most just didn't give a shit that I was there 
didn't give a shit about his job, obviously hated his job, just had the worst attitude, seemed like he was like just either pissed off or bored or something. And I'm just looking at this guy going, this is why you are always going to work at this job, you dumbass. Like, don't you understand how the how how it works yet? Don't you get it that yep. having this kind of attitude is why people fail and it's why they're losers in life? Like people who succeed in those in like, yeah, there are people who start off working at McDonald's and then they become the fucking like owner of their own McDonald's franchise. I don't think they franchise out McDonald's, but you get the point. They become like, you know, a district manager or something. They, this, they, they used to do that in some ways. Probably. But like, it's it, dude, it's all about your fucking attitude and your work ethic. I mean, if you're kicking ass and taking names and you're unden- an undeniable talent at your job, guess what? They're not going to keep you there. They're going to move you to a better like location. That, yeah. that happened every time. There was a sub- gas station subway that I always used to go to. And they had this one guy there who just... Every time you walked in, he was super professional. He was super attentive. And, and even though it was a gas station subway, he really acted like he gave a shit about his job and what he was doing. And you know what they did? Corporate came in and moved him to a better subway location. And I'm like, why? <laughs> this gas station is in a crappy area of town. We need people <laughs> like him here. We don't move him. Like, yeah. But I mean, it's like that's every like your attitude and how you present yourself at your place of employment is so like critical. Like, I think there's some people though who get away with it, you know. Oh, a lot of people get away with it, but that's why they'll always stay in that lower position. They'll no, never... but what I meant is, I some people who do move up because of who they know, because well, yeah. of you know the situation that they wind up in afterwards. Well, yeah, I mean that's how mo- most presidential candidates are presidential candidates because of who they knew and their connections in washington and all that so i mean yeah there's Let's always not go there yeah no i'm not I, I almost named i almost named a specific person and i'm like yeah why don't i just not we, we don't need to yeah, no all right so mike's been working a lot and and uh and he's doing well and is the toe doing good no flare-ups of the toe <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm, yeah, that's totally fine. I know it's a. Di- uh, it's a h- how's your family of possums doing, by the way? Okay, you know what's funny? The, <laughs> I understand the toe is a dead meme, but the possum thing is not because they are flourishing. <laughs> God damn it! And and though there used to be one, now it's a possum sanctuary over here. It's the possum posse. There is like a fern patch to the right of my house, and I found that that's like their summer home that they vacation in. <laughs> so like their main home is underneath my bathtub in my bathroom, uh, but their summer condo is uh, this fern patch to the right of my house. So uh, yeah, and like Stephanie had a piece of a big old piece of chimichanga left over from the uh-huh. other night that she didn't eat, and she just threw it into my backyard. And she has, like, the worst, like, girl throw I've ever seen. Like, she's like, ah! And it goes, like, two <laughs> feet, you know? And I'm like, god damn it, man. Could you could you at least gotten it, like, away from the back of my house? But it was literally there, like, one day, and the next day it was gone. So the possums literally are, like, the cleanup crew. <laughs> oh, try not to say all girls can't throw before people get triggered. <laughs> it's just a joke. Calm the so, fuck down. Um, yeah, uh, one of our listeners who's artistically inclined should definitely be doing something about, you know, the possum posse. Get on that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, like, if we ever design a new T-shirt, like, I want I want to be us as cartoon characters, which Eddie, our listener Eddie, like, actually did, does uh-huh. a really good job animating us 
as cartoons, but I want it to be like Mike like his has this big red toe that's sticking out of a hole in his shoe, and then I have a possum on my shoulder. Uh, and that and and we're just like animated and it says uncovering unexplained mysteries. That, I feel like that would be a really cool shirt idea. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is a podcast about the show Unsolved Mysteries, and we are stay- keeping true to the namesake on this episode because we are actually talking about an Unsolved Mysteries case. Um, you know, great, great cult classic from the '90s. I, we've been doing this podcast for so long; it's like it's it's crazy to even like think of this show in the same way that I did when I first started. Yeah. When I yeah. when I first started, this this the show had a lot more of that magical, mystical quality. But we've like dissected it so much. Now it's just literally like, I don't know. It's like we're like doctors. Yeah, it's like it's very <laughs> surgical now. It's like all right, let's you know, open this up and blah blah. Just, I will say this about this particular case though. I don't remember seeing this one, so this was uh, definitely uh, one of those cases that brought back that magic for me. Well, yeah, I, I don't remember seeing this particular episode. I did see this, this one, but before. I but this was one of the ones that like I meant to write down to cover, but it just didn't end up happening. But no, yeah, this is a great, uh, great segment. And I forget who brought it up on our Facebook group, but it was a really good suggestion. Whoever brought it up and you can join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook.com, search groups and um, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. And uh, yeah, you just answer like two questions. Do you listen to the podcast? Are you a real human being? And I'll let you in. And there's a bunch of really cool shit in there, especially if you're a fan of the show Unsolved Mysteries. That's all I'm going to say about that. And, uh, you know, if you want to uh, support us on Patreon, you can do that too. Patreon.com slash Uncovering Explained Mysteries. Uh, 90% of the time you get the podcast early and then uh, like 45% of the time you'll get a bonus segment. <laughs> which we continue to try to get better on doing about that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's fucking hard, man. It's fucking hard. So you're pretty much just supporting us. Cause you like the podcast. If you join Patreon and you're going to get the podcast early, those are the two benefits I can guarantee. Everything else is just kind of when it, when it happens, it happens kind of thing. So, you know, whatever, but we do appreciate it greatly. And you got our Patreons are awesome and they do definitely get like the first dibs on everything and all that. Cause last, what a great salesman! Yeah, I know, right? Well, I'm just trying to be honest, on you know, honesty in yeah. in, in marketing. Because La- last week, can you imagine that? Like, you had somebody sell you a product like that, <laughs> dude. I went to this bar the other day, and uh, I was asking if he had like a Bud Light, and he's like, "Uh, no, we don't have anything near Bud Light here." I guess he's trying to be all like, "Oh, this is a fancy pants bar." He goes, uh, "If you want Bud Light, you can go next door. They have plenty of that over there." And I'm like, wow, you're you're a really good salesman for your restaurant or your bar, sir. Basically telling me to go to the other bar <laughs> and not yours because you only have fancy beer. I think this guy thought I was broke. And I'm like, yeah. oh. I'm like, dude, it's not a money thing. I have money, asshole. Like <laughs> I can afford your little fucking fancy IPAs. I just I just don't like a lot of IPAs. I just I don't know. A lot of times I just stick with Bud Light because I know what I'm in for. <laughs> with IPAs, man. Uh, anyway, we're getting off topic. So anyway, this is the uh, case of Jill and Julie Hansen, uh, the the lost Hansen sisters of uh, the the famous group Hansen, the recording artist Hansen. Um, 
if they had been alive, wow. if they had been alive, they would have contributed the uh, higher. That's a dad joke. I I wouldn't. I I would not have even gone for. Was that like <laughs> was that like atomic level dad joke? <laughs> yes. Oh man. Yeah. No. The no nuclear. Re- no relation to uh, the Hanson brothers. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the, this, this, these Hanson, this Hanson people, these Hanson, I don't know what I'm trying to say spiral. right now. Spiral. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a spiral. Yep. Yep, pretty much. All right, I'm not going to make any more jokes. Let's just get into it here. Mike, do you think we should flip a coin as to who reads this? Uh, no, because we're going to be uh, tag-teaming on the list of hauntings, so. Okay, so I'll just I'll just read it, I guess. Yeah. Willow Creek, California is about 250 miles north of San Francisco. Hans and Betty Hansen moved to this quiet community in 1971, three years after they were married. Hans operated a logging supply business in a warehouse next to the couple's mobile home. The Hanson family grew to include four children, Donnie, Becky, and two twin girls, Jill and Julie. According to So they showed photos of Jill and Julie, and I, I, I guess it's just something that because I remember The Shining so much that whenever I see like twins, it's just it's just kind of creepy to me. I, it's just kind of, I don't know. A lot of people consider that to be like, oh, it's cute and whatever. But like when you see The Shining, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, uh, it's just it, it is kind of eerie. It's just one of those things, like, it's a natural thing, but it seems unnatural, you know? I, I you know what I fucking hate, and I, I don't think they do it anymore, but in the 90s, this was such a trope. If there was ever a show that dealt with twins, they would make them dress the exact same way, and they would make them, yeah. they would make them say the same line together at the same uh-huh. time. And that's really creepy. Like, it's just stupid. It's like, oh, uh, well, I sometimes that happens in real life, though. I mean, I, I saw an episode of like My Strange Addiction and this this there were these twins and they were talking, you know, at the same time they wore the same clothes and try to go on a date. And it, it was really awkward to watch because, you know, they're trying to do like a double date sort of thing. But then they tried to do one where, OK, you're too attached to your twin. So you're going to go on a date by yourself and your twins going to stay home or go to a hotel or something. And it didn't go over well because they uh, the both of the twins are really uncomfortable with not being uh, close to one another for any length of time. So after the date and after everything, like they reunited and they were just like, oh, that'll like never happen again. Blah, 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 blah. But, you know, the psychiatrist had a good point. It's like, what's going to happen if one of if she dies you know if, if what's going to happen when one of these twins actually does pass before um the other one it, that that could be just a devastating uh event and it's just one of those things like you kind of would be a good idea to learn how to live you know or, or or be happy without your twin a lot of people say me and mike are twins yeah i don't know <laughs> Does anybody? Does some, do people actually say that? No, nobody's nobody's <laughs> actually ever said that at all. That's what I thought. So according uh, according to Hans, his twin daughters were kind to everyone. "Quote: Jill and Julie were good kids. They were a little shy. They would be kind of more friendly to the underdog people, and they were real popular girls in school. 
So if a new person came to school or something that wasn't taken in so much by the other people, they would befriend them. For Betty and Hans, life was close to perfect until the night of November 14, 1986. At around 11 p.m., the 16-year-old twins were in their room preparing for bed. Their half-brother, Donnie, age 21, was visiting from the town of Fortuna, 70 miles away. He planned to sleep on the living room couch. Then at around 3 a.m., Betty Hansen suddenly awoke. She smelled smoke and woke up Hans. Their mobile home was on fire. Hans grabbed a fire extinguisher and tried to put out the flames. And unlike uh, uh, some other uh, reenactments, like this is like legit. Oh, like, yeah. The, the, this is really impressive fire effects in this one. In fact, I just saw um, a segment recently where they had another impressive reenactment. It was an arson murder uh-huh. in like this, uh, these like five kids ended up dying in the house because they had like the burglar bars on the window oh, shit. and the, the door was blocked by a couch inexplic- inexplicably and the firefighters got there and, and were trying to save them. They couldn't get inside because the sofa was in front of the door. It was like a drug deal gone bad because like uh-huh. the oldest kid was like associated with drug dealers or some shit. Yeah. And all the little kids, man, like the the firefighters were trying to... Because those burglar bars are no fucking joke. It's meant to keep people out. So, um, and the quick release for the burglar bars on the inside was inexplicably not working. It was jammed. So, like, they were, like, trapped in there or whatever. Yeah. And So, so, what about this segment, though? (laughs) Well, I'm saying, like, they they actually set that house on fire just like this segment. No, this one was great, too. Like, Unsolved Mysteries was not afraid to set a fucking house on fire for a reenactment. Like, you just... I just feel like you just wouldn't see that now. I don't know. I could be wrong, but... Feel like they you don't see it very often a lot of it's digital a lot of it's cgi um they might not have actually set it on fire they might have used fire bars they might have used some of the similar stuff that other uh films around the same time were using to uh create the fire um but whatever they did they did a really good job with it because it was just it just added so much more to this segment because it's just like holy shit like that's real fire you know like oh my god and like the actors like <laughs> Give you some thumbs up, man, you know, because that's that had to be pretty scary. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, really. So Hans is quoted here as saying, I shot that fire extinguisher down the hall. It burnt right back up. There was a strip in the middle of that hallway burning. That's real odd that coming uh, that it would be coming back in a strip like that. And still, no, I got no response from anybody. I was yelling all three of their names and then exited the house. As I ran out the door, I kicked the gas can out of the way, not really thinking much of it till I got a few steps away, thinking that gas can shouldn't have been there. It was empty because I felt how uh, empty it was when I kicked it. As Betty ran up the hallway to warn uh, of everybody, to warn everyone in the fire. This is such a stupid sentence. It says, as Betty (laughs) ran up the hallway to warn her, everyone of the fire. I swear it's not me. Typo. The first person she saw was her son, Donnie. Quote, he was standing at the end of the couch where I think he slept that night and and he didn't see me. And he's screaming in a horrible voice and he's screaming, get out of here real loud, running and chasing. And so right away, I was afraid for him. What was happening? Who he was chasing out? Betty ran to the warehouse where several fire extinguishers were stored. She was met first by Donnie, then by Hans. Hans searched for a ladder. 
And I thought it was crazy. It's like just that's a lot of fire extinguishers. Like they they were like stocking up on fire extinguishers in there. They're doomsday like, preppers, I, Mike. They're preppers. <laughs> They're prepping. And I also thought it was funny how uh, Robert Stack it was it was hands, hands. Yeah, I know. Hands it's like, like it's like people who say hand solo or Han solo. Yeah, there are some people out there who say hand solo. Yeah. I go but I go by the traditional Swedish way. It's Hans. Hans, Franz, and Bronze. But it's Han Solo. It's not fucking <laughs> Han. Dude, I've I've I swear to no God. No one no one in the movies ever says Han Solo. They say Han Solo. Yeah, I know. I don't I don't understand it. So um Betty ran to the warehouse where several fire extinguishers extinguishers were stored. She was met first by Donnie, then by Hans. Hans searched for a ladder. He said, I got a ladder and came to Jill's room and just shoved that ladder right through the window. That room was totally in flames, totally engulfed in flames, and I didn't get any response or see anybody. According to Hans, Betty and Donnie continuously returned to the warehouse for fire extinguishers. I remember asking Donnie as we were chasing back and forth for fire extinguishers, did you see anybody? And he said, no, he didn't see anything. Fire well, why didn't he say like to his wife, like, I tried the fire extinguishers earlier. It didn't do much of anything. So it just seems like you're kind of just wasting your time. It, but I guess it's one of those things where it's it's a frantic panic. So it's a way to try to calm things down and try to get uh, get his wife and other people to focus on something. else. Yeah, I mean, well, what and, else? And, were, and in that instance, I get it. What else were they going to do? I mean, you know, they got to even if I mean, wait for the fire department. <laughs> I don't know. I would, I would, I would still try it even if it didn't seem like it was doing anything. Because like maybe little by little, it would do something. Yeah, it might do something. So fire trucks responded to the scene within 15 minutes. Minutes later, a neighbor noticed a crumpled figure in a vacant lot across the road. It was Julie Hansen, and she was nearly dead, bleeding from a gaping wound in her stomach. Hans recalled the terrifying moments that followed. I heard somebody yell from across the street. We found one of them, or something like that. Then, then the next thing, Donnie came running up on the deck and said that we found Julie. Julie's out. I got her out. And my first question to him was, how bad is she burned? And he didn't give me an answer. Hans claimed that it was only after Julie was discovered that Donnie c took credit for having pulled her from the fire. But according to Betty Hansen, that apparent discrepancy was quickly overshadowed by concern for Julie. Quote, when I saw Julie, I thought there was no way she could live. Her stomach was just open, just blown open. And so I ran back across the street and I just went from one fireman to another begging them to please go in and find Jill. Then I'd run back across the street and see how Julie was doing. And each time I went back across the street, I was surprised she was still alive. Emergency personnel rushed Julie to the hospital, believing her stomach injury had been caused by some kind of fire-related explosion. But in surgery, doctors made a shocking discovery. Julie Hansen had been shot in the abdomen at point-blank range with a 12-gauge shotgun. Damn. Hans was shocked when he heard the news. I don't understand how anyone survives a fucking 12-gauge shotgun blast yeah. to the fucking stomach. Yeah, that's 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 not a normal occurrence. Uh, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, that's a miracle. And that's one of those things that would be considered pretty miraculous. I mean, I remember I've actually shot a 12-gauge one time. And that thing packs quite a punch. Yeah, and all, all, and it was just, I was shooting at a target that was not even at close range, and it just destroyed the target. So, 
Yeah. I can only imagine what that would do close range to someone's stomach. I mean... Yeah, mm. I've, I've, I've fired a 12-gauge before as well, and the kick on it is so bad oh, yes. that you will, if you're not holding it right, you yeah. will fuck your shoulder up. Exactly. I was lucky. Like, I, you know, I had, you know, my, my, my dad and everyone was, like, you know, making sure I held it properly. But it's still, like, damn, like, I can feel it on my shoulder. I'm not, like, the strongest guy. So, you know, and this was, like, a few years ago. So I was even, you know, scrawnier. So it was one of those things where just like, jeez. Yeah, imagine taking <laughs> that shit to the chest. I mean, even in Resident yeah. Evil, that would that would demolish a zombie, uh, usually one yeah. shotgun blast. I mean, if it's true in Resident Evil, then it's true in my life. That's <laughs> that's what I usually live by. That's my credo. So um, Hans was shocked when he heard that news, and he said, well, I about fell off my chair then because that was the first I'd known anything about any shooting at all. Yeah, you would. And I still couldn't figure out who could have hated us this much to make an attack on our house like this? Daylight brought still more unbearable news. Jill's body was found in the ruins. An autopsy later confirmed that Jill had also been wounded by shotgun fire. Unable to flee, she had perished in the flames. Can you think Oof. of a shittier fucking death than that? Being shot, you know, and maybe not killed, but now your house is on fire on top of that. Like, dude, you are... And then you burn to death. That's like hell. That is hell. Yeah. Like, however long it took for her to actually die. I mean, burning to death is easily near the top of, like, the worst ways to die. Yeah. Authorities recovered three shotgun shells and another five-gallon gas can from the ashes. The only one I could think of that might be worse is, like, the, the guy who was, like, Put in the smelter. Oh, yeah, Dave Box. Oh, God, yeah. yeah, that would have been really bad. The Hansons' warehouse was untouched by the fire, and investigators examined every square inch for clues. Behind some boxes, they found a 12-gauge shotgun. Ballistics, ballistics tests later proved it was the weapon used to shoot Jill and Julie Hansen. The entire Hansen property was cordoned off and kept under round-the-clock surveillance. Two days after the fire in the early morning, the officer on duty caught a prowler outside the warehouse. It was Donnie. Detective George Gatto of the Humboldt County Sheriff's Department was called to the scene. Donnie told Detective Gatto that he had come to feed the family dog. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> At fucking, you know early in the mo morning, you know, and you're gonna like sneak up like you're some fucking burglar. So uh, he just to feed the dog. So uh, Detective that. Gatto said he knew the dog had been taken to a neighbor's. He knew the dog was not there. And that's when we figured that the reason he was there was to get the shotgun because he didn't know we had found it yet. Three days before the fire, Donnie had borrowed the shotgun from a friend and kept it in his car. Unspent shells found in the car matched those used in the attack. Donnie had purchased the ammunition from uh, the that very evening Jill and Julie were shot. Also, a credit card statement verified that two days before the fire, Donnie had purchased five gallons of gas at a local gas station. Witnesses confirmed that the container Donnie filled was identical to the one of those found at the scene. Oh. That's not that impressive uh -huh. because, I mean, uh, what, you know... Doesn't every gas container look exactly the same? I mean... Well, not necessarily. I mean, there are some that are different. I mean, for instance, the one that we have is like, I, I really don't see it very often. It's just a really, uh, just very bulky, just... I, I don't understand why we have this one. It's just not very practical. <laughs> just this fucking giant, big-ass, fucking bulky, brick-looking thing. You know, it, 
And especially when you're, it, it's really full. It's a pain in the ass to fill up the gas tank on the lawnmower. And it's got a velvet Elvis on the side of it. No, <laughs> that would be really unique. Yeah, that would be very unique. Like Donnie's gas can had a, a velvet Elvis on the side of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was the only one, you know, in the in that county. So, you know, it was. Uh, It'd be like, you know, if your gas tank had a Robert Stack doily on it or something, you know. <laughs> yes. And on the doily was a crumpet. <laughs> there was only one person who could confirm the growing suspicions, Julie Hansen. Approximately two weeks after the fire, she had recovered enough to tell her parents what had happened. According to Hans, Julie recalled being shot, but not seeing anyone. She said she crawled over her sister, so her sister was still asleep in bed beside her, and stepped out of her bedroom door and bang. She saw the flash and she thought a bomb went off. And she said she reached out and felt her belly. It was like a bowl of jelly. Ugh, guess, ugh. ugh gross. As Hans and Betty asked more questions, Julie had a chilling flashback. She claimed to have seen Donnie's face before being shot. Two weeks after the fire, Donnie Hansen voluntarily met with Detective Gatto for further questioning. See, here's this. Like, why would she make that up? It makes no sense that you, you would just all of a sudden, especially with something as horrific and just terrifying as that, you just like all that, you just make up a face that you're familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. Some other weirdness happens with that later on, though. Um, yeah. So, uh, anyway, Donnie is, uh, he voluntary, voluntarily met with Detective Gatto for further questioning. He kept saying he was innocent. He failed the polygraph tw test twice. Holy shit, Josh, get it together. And when I interviewed him, he kept denying everything, because every time it was a different story with him. Yeah, that doesn't sound suspicious at all. Now, him failing the polygraph test, that's not an automatic uh, instance of guilt. But him just changing his story constantly and denying things, yeah, that's pretty damn suspicious. The interrogation lasted two hours. When Donnie emerged, he was in handcuffs, facing trial on charges of arson and murder. Betty Hansen was stunned. That was a pretty low point in my life to see my son arrested for the murder of my daughter. It was just unbelievable. And I kept thinking, when am I going to wake up? When's this going to end? But the nightmare was far from over. On December 19th, 1987, Julie suddenly <sighs> died in a freak medical accident. Oh, an, air, an air bubble entered her bloodstream through an intravenous tube and stopped her heart. Julie's. This is just a tragic fucking case. Yes. In so many different ways. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't even, I can't even like, I have to compartmentalize my dad's death, you know, let alone this yeah. kind of shit. So I can't even, I don't even want to put myself in a, any kind of position where I can like relate to this because it's just too gruesome to think. Yeah, you are. She, I mean, the poor family, I mean, the, they already lost. One daughter. I mean, you got to think about, you know, one daughter is a burnt, crisp corpse that was shot and went through hell. You know, you're who mm -hmm. was, you know, this lovely girl, I'm sure. And then you got yeah. the other one that's like, oh, well, at least one survived. Oh, my God. We're still reeling over Jill. Then Julie dies in the fucking hospital through this crazy bullshit of an air bubble entering yeah. her bloodstream through an intravenous tube. And my question mm -hmm. is. Who gets fired or sued for that? Was that a nurse? Yeah. Was that a doctor? Like, what the fuck? You know? Like, How does that happen? 
Yeah, and I, it's so crazy that a fucking air bubble can can stop your fucking heart. It's like it is, but that it's true. There's a lot of people they they found ways to like kill people, you know, that make it just look like they, you know, died of natural causes in the hospital because, you know, they just put an air bubble in their in their vein. It's like why why did why wouldn't the bubble, you know, why can't it just pop or something? I guess cuz I know. I guess because your circulatory system is sealed. It's pressure. Yeah, I think it's it's related to pressure. I think in some ways because I mean your blood, you know, blood pressure. The reason there's a reason why it's called blood pressure because there's a lot of fucking shit going on in your body that's uh, it's 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 crazy. Well, if you guys can it's, take it's, any comfort or solace from anything, just know at least there's not an air bubble in your bloodstream right now. Because if there was, you'd yeah. be dead by now. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you can take any comfort in your life at this point, just know that you don't. At least you don't have an air bubble, and you're not on fire, and you yeah. haven't been shot, <laughs> yeah. and you are not currently, <laughs> most likely, on fire. You are currently not uh, engulfed. I mean, the the dedication that someone would have to this podcast uh, <laughs> if they were in that situation, I mean... Yeah, if you... Holy shit. If you found yourself on fire and the fire was so tedious to you that you needed some entertainment, so you decided to put on our podcast, please write us in and we will set, gladly send you a free t-shirt. So, Julie's death was another devastating blow to her grieving parents. It was a ma also a major setback to the prosecutors. Yep. Julie's eyewitness statements would now be inadmissible as evidence since she could not be cross-examined by defense attorneys. Now, my, my other question I had while I was watching this is, now, is this two murder charges now against Donnie? Because she, she technically was in the hospital because of no. something that he, you know, if he did get found guilty of this, he set the fire... I mean, that is interesting. I mean, I, I could see why you might think that. But I guess because she survived, technically, the most that would that would happen would be uh, an assault charge or attempted so murder. So she would have had to have died from her injuries the, the night of for it to be murder. murder for him. So it would have been attempted murder. Because, like, if assault. someone's clinging to life um, it, from, like, if I shot Mike tomorrow... And he was clinging to life in the ambulance, and I got arrested by the cops. And then I find out in jail that Mike died from his injuries. Yeah. Then it becomes murder. Possibly, I don't know exactly. No, I what the I, whole I'm thing pretty is. sure that's how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if she survived, I guess his attack, and then days, you mm -hmm. know, months, whatever, weeks later, died from something that wasn't. Yeah, it's was not related. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't be murder on his part but it is like kind of still because it's if he if he did do it um because it's his fault she's in the hospital you know if he did do it yeah well i mean i and and i know that there would be no way that you would shoot anybody and definitely not me so <laughs> mike you'd be the first person that i would shoot <laughs> all the times i've been interrupted on here come on yeah that's what i was gonna say yeah, come on. Uh, I, I, I've bottled it up for like three years now. Speaking of which, what, what our three-year anniversary is coming up uh, in June, I want to say. Oh. So, yeah, we'll have to think of something for that. Uh, Mike has lasted with me longer than any of my relationships have. Moving on, in April of 1988... <laughs> 
<laughs> Tawny Hansen went on trial for the murders of his half sisters, Jill and Julie. Oh, murders plural. So yes. Oh, there you go. It did count as murder. Terry R. Farmer, the Humboldt County District Attorney, was confident enough to ask for the death penalty. The defendant, Donald Hansen, brought the gun that was the murder weapon to the scene. He brought the shotgun shells that killed those two girls. He hid the murder weapon, and then he lied about all of those things. That was strong evidence. However, until Donnie's lawyer introduced testimony from the Hansen's neighbors, uh, they claimed to have seen two unidentified men near the trailer while it was on fire. Their sighting became the cornerstone of a defense theory designed to show that Donnie Hansen was innocent. <coughs> William Bragg was Donnie's attorney. Quote, Sorry, I'm just allergic to this bullshit. I mean, now I'll leave it in, but I was just going to seamlessly edit that out, but that's cool. Um, so William Bragg, Donnie's defense attorney, said, was quoted as saying, there were a tremendous number of unanswered facts and occurrences that happened that night that the prosecution couldn't explain and which were not consistent with Donnie having been involved. I was able to come up with at least a suggested scenario that tied the majority of the unanswered factual questions together. Bragg claimed that around 3 a.m., two intruders approached the Hansons trailer. Quote, the person had found Donnie's shotgun outside and for whatever reason decided to bring it inside with some shells, picked the lock, came through the sliding glass door. They just spread the gasoline around the living room area at the front of the trailer, the kitchen. At some point during the activities of the perpetrator, Julie was awakened and walks in on the perpetrator and he shoots her as she's coming out of the hallway. And then she goes down. That's what wakes Donnie up. Donnie picks Julie up and takes her on the front porch and deposits her there. Okay, so with this theory, I don't buy that nobody heard any gunshots like that. I mean, it's a fucking shotgun, yeah, it's a shotgun. blast. How, how do you not hear that? Yeah. How? Yep. If it's like a small caliber, you know, caliber rifle or something, okay, maybe. But a fucking 12 gauge and multiple shots? Maybe this is while things were like on fire but i i i don't know i don't know how you don't you can't hear that like but i mean some people are really deep sleepers i mean some people have been known to sleep through thunderstorms and shit so i don't know yeah but it's just like i don't know we'll, we'll get to the other theories here according to the defense at least one of the assailants was still in the trailer after hans betty and donnie escaped it was only then that jill was shot Terry Farmer and the prosecution disagreed with that theory. Quote, if you're going to commit a murder, don't you bring the instruments to do that job? Don't you bring the gun if you're going to burn down the house? Don't you bring the gas? How convenient for them that both of these items just happen to be provided by Donald Hansen. Well, yeah, that too. And also the fact that Donnie wasn't shot. Yeah. Uh, and they even uh, one of the prosecutors even brought that up. Yeah, in he's the, like, in the he's segment. like, if you sh if 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 uh, Julie or yeah, Julie walks into the living room, the assailant shoots Julie, and then Donnie wakes up. Well, why wouldn't you shoot Donnie too? Yeah, why would you not shoot, especially the the guy who could yeah. presumably like kick your ass uh -huh. or stop you more than Julie yeah. could have. Well, then also the fact that like he was in the same room with them. Yeah, and he was they like right nothing. next to. Him. Yeah, exactly. It's such bullshit. Like the uh, the defenses, no. the, the defenses theory was such bullshit. Um, 
So, however, the jury... Unless Donnie was the Invisible Man. That's the only way that that, that would have happened. <laughs> the jury believed it did make sense, and they found Donnie Hansen not guilty. Well, the jury are, are a bunch of dumbasses. <laughs> for Hans, uh, for Hans Hansen, Donnie's acquittal was a crushing blow. Quote, This has been a real tragedy for us because we have lost three out of our four children of this. Two of them are dead, and Donnie's dead to me, because I do feel like he was 100% responsible for this, whether he pulled it off 100% himself or not. Since the trial, Donnie has moved and changed his name. His account of the events that took place the night of his sister's murders is still the subject of debate. Although his attorney claimed Donnie was awakened by the shotgun blast, Donnie now has since changed his story and said that he never heard the shot. Quote, which is which is even more unbelievable. Like this just ties into exactly what the guy who did the polygraph test was talking about. You know, yeah, and reaped the bullshit. Just kept changing his story. And they actually interviewed Donnie, and he's in silhouette and shit. And he's like, you know, he's got the deep, yeah, he's got uh, modulated voice. No one that was in that trailer that night heard any blast. I don't know how I didn't hear it. I don't know how any of us didn't hear it. Another nagging question is why Donnie removed the shotgun from his car before anyone knew that a shotgun had been involved or even that a crime had been committed. I don't really know why I moved it other than I didn't want someone to steal it. Someone find the gun thinking, oh, I did this. You know, if it was used in the commission of this crime at that time, I didn't know if it had been or not. However, with all the circumstantial evidence against him, Donnie still maintains his innocence. The accusations that I know what went on that night are absolutely ludicrous because I had absolutely everything to lose and nothing to gain, you know? And the fact to let someone get away with what they did to Jill and Julie tears me up. The whole truth about this hideous crime may never be known. A jury has acquitted Donnie Hansen, but his mother Betty has not. You go on, but life is never the same. And you can build a new house or buy a new car, but you can't you can't bring back the girls. And all we have left is memories. And it's really rough. It definitely is. It's definitely really rough. Um Damn it, Donnie, you fucking did it. Damn Come it, on. Donnie! Like, <laughs> Shut up, Donnie. I mean... This doesn't concern you. <laughs> yes. They're nihilist, Donnie. <laughs> okay, so, so from one of the comments here, uh, I had lived in Willow Creek until 1984 and knew the family. Hans was one of the nicest men, always helpful. And he even came across that way in the, in the interview. Yeah, he Hans did. Came, he, he did seem like a really nice guy. The logging supply business was one block off Highway 299. And between uh, the Hansons and the highway, there were two gas stations, a Ward's catalog store, and one large old building on the corner behind the second gas station. I think most of the residents in that area were mobile homes. Across the highway from the second gas station was a bar. I forget the name. I never drank there. At the other side of the town was the other bar, the Forks. It was at the intersection of 299 and Highway 96. Mayfair and Country Club Way... Uh, had a vet's office on the corner next to Han's place. Next to that was slash is a very small laundromat. North of that on the corner is a mobile home. Across the street was a mobile family uh, na- uh, uh, was a mobile 
family named Huff lived there. Okay, is she just describing like geography here? Yeah, What's the yeah. point? That, that she just even get, she, it, she and her like she says a lot. On the like, west side God. of the co uh, County Club Drive was a small bare lot, and to the west, the Chevron Distributor. Um, what was the trading post? Okay, what? What the? F Whatever, lady. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, there's probably a point in there, but I don't. I don't feel like reading that book that she wrote. Yeah, I mean, there's really nothing to discuss about this. Obviously, Hans did it. I mean, uh, the the father, not Hans. Sorry. Well, I mean, Greg Donnie. Samsa. He says, if a verdict makes absolutely no sense at all, then the two things are possible. The jury, one, the jury happened to be composed of all equally irrational individuals who presented with the same evidence that convicted every person in this forum, convinced every person in this forum, together arrived at the opposite conclusion. Or two, you don't have the whole story. You've assumed the info you got from a 15-minute TV segment or the brief summary above is equal or superior to the info the jury got during a whole trial. Or you've never noticed that Unsolved Mysteries always slant stories to guilt unless it's uplifting. Wrong man story of exploitation, and you're easily manipulated by your television. Hmm, I wonder which more is likely. Now, this guy just seems like uh, a fucking, I don't know, I guess he doesn't like Unsolved Mysteries? Oh, uh, I think he's probably, he just sounds like a skeptic. Yeah. Just like, one like the... I don't know what happened, but I find it really hard to believe a convincing motive of Donnie's existed. E.g. jealousy, business or wealth he stood to get for the trailer's owner. And Unsolved Mysteries just somehow forgot to include it or didn't find it relevant. Now, okay. Yeah, that is something that is missing, and and I I, I did want to uh, eventually bring that. Well, up. Hans, the father, was saying that there was some kind of life insurance policy, but he was saying the life insurance policy was was for him, not the the girls. Yeah. So yeah. if, if Donnie wanted the life insurance policy, he would have needed to kill Hans. Yes. So, yeah, it, it, that is one thing that's definitely missing here is the motive. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence that really suggests that he did it. Um, the fact that his sister says she saw him, uh, his face when she got shot. But then the doctor said that she, she said she saw nobody when she got shot. And that's something but, they but left that, out that here. Could have, that, that, but that could have been initially something that happened because it, it just happened and she couldn't really, you know, put a face to things. You know, that's that's actually uh, a common thing, if I remember correctly, is when things just happen, that some people are just is so traumatic that they're not able to actually uh, put a face on it. They're just like, I, I don't know who did it. You know, I, I don't know. It just seemed like just like a blob or something. Um, but then as time goes by, then they get a flash, and then things get a little bit more clear. Um, I don't buy that she would have made that up. What did she have to gain by that? Absolutely nothing. So, when you go off of that, it does seem like, you know, he did it. But it, it is one of those things, like, what's the motive? Well, I, I, I mean, the show didn't mention it, but maybe they didn't mention certain things because of legal reasons. Uh, that's a possibility. This was like the sixth season. I know earlier in earlier seasons, they had mentioned more details. And then they'd have they'd get sued. But by what would be like what, who were involved. you know, there's no motive for Donnie to do it, but what would be the motive if it were some random people? Nothing was stolen. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Uh, nothing, I mean, it's almost like the uh the whole Laura Bible and that other chick, the two the trailer terror or whatever, the two girls that were murdered and the trailer was burned yeah. down and the, the And if it was an intruder or intruders, 
the girl who was shot, she would have said it. She would have said it was there were multiple people, or she didn't mention anything about an intruder. She just she just said I. I you know, I don't know who did it initially. Damn, Betty Hansen like actually commented on this thread. She goes, "We did hear the gunshots that night. That's what woke both my husband and myself up. We grieve for our daughters to this very day." That's really oh yeah, fucking sad. Which 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 makes it, her their you know her son's story even more unbelievable and makes him seem like a prime suspect. Yeah. I mean, again, let's let's re- recap Donnie's statement here. No one. Uh, that was in that trailer that night heard any blast. I don't know how I didn't hear it. I don't know how any of us didn't hear it. And then Betty's like right here on unsolved.com going, yes, we did hear it. That's why we woke up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like one of those things where it's like, Donnie, until... until Damn it. <laughs> yeah, until something else, you know, go like comes up here... Uh, yeah, you're hereby excommunicated from the family. It just looks too bad on you, and fuck yeah. you. And I honestly do think he did it. I mean, it's one of those things where until there's other evidence that shows up that suggests otherwise, I don't buy the intruder theory, because it's not, it just reeks of bullshit, especially the way it was described by the defense. And I, and, and I don't know how anyone in a jury could hear that and be like, yeah, that's legit. That's totally what happened. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I do, I do feel without like having a fucking hole in their head. Unsolved Mysteries does sometimes like leave out yes. pertinent details to you know, and like the person said, unless it's uplifting or blah blah. I could see that, and I could see there being a little manipulation going on. But honestly, nothing about this this scenario makes any goddamn sense. Why are you okay? Like in the other arson case, I was talking about. It was a drug deal gone wrong. Uh, the 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 guy, one of the te- teenagers living in the house was yeah. supposed to be given, or, or the one with the uh, couple with the with the gal and the husband who you know burned down the grandparents' house or something. There was it was involved with money, it's and, like an insurance and, thing and, or know, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's like a motive, and yeah, I mean, like there's a reason. With this, they're just even if it were random people, it doesn't make sense. And uh, I was uh, talking about on last week's episode uh, about is there such a thing as the perfect murder? And I said, well, yes, but you have to absolutely not know the person at all and not have any motive to do it. And that's the only way I feel like you could truly get away with a murder. And (laughs) I mean, in this case, this, you know, no, still, it still kind of remains unsolved to this day. So, I mean, the only other explanation, if it wasn't Donnie, was it was just some psychopath out there, like the Manson family or something, who just wanted to do a creepy crawl and uh, cause havoc for no reason. I mean, that's the only other explanation I could think of, besides but, it being Donnie. you know, if if that's the case, are there instances of more uh, arsons or, uh, you know, spree killings in this particular uh, area of Willow Creek? If there isn't, then that seems rather unlikely. I don't know that information, but and I and I would think if there were, were that the information was there, we we would have heard about it. But you know that's the thing. I mean, I, I can understand why people are like, oh, I can't really rush to a judgment. And but it's just everything that's been provided either by the show or what I know about from other resources. Um, I don't have the access to the jury transcript because I'm you know the trial transcript because I wasn't there. Um, and I, and I don't know if I can even get access to that. 
I, I just feel that the defense, their what their theories from what I heard in this segment are are really unbelievable to me. And there's these all these other things that just point towards Donnie. So it's just one of those unfortunate cases that uh, because it's of its unsolved nature and because of what the information that I know, uh, I I definitely do feel that I come to the same conclusion that his parents did. Yep. Donnie's a dick. Dickbag Donnie. Damn it, Donnie. So. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. This doesn't concern <laughs> you. <laughs> hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, guys, but you know the deal. We got to do a little bit of advertisement to keep the lights on in Mike's house. So uh, here we go with a BetterHelp ad read. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential, and it's so convenient. You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. If you are not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. Best of all, it's truly affordable. Uh, It's a truly affordable option. And for Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries listeners, get 10% off your first month with discount code UUM, as in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash UUM. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you're, you will love. That's betterhelp.com slash UUM. Now, I will say this is not a crisis line, but they do have over 4,000 U.S. U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. It's available worldwide. Start communicating in under 24 hours. It's available on desktop, mobile, web, Android, and iOS apps. Easy to change counselors if needed. Secure, convenient, professional, affordable. Get 10% off your first month with discount code UUM. Thanks, guys. Back to the show. So that's it for uh, the Unsolved Mysteries portion of uh, this week's podcast. Uh, Now we're just going to talk about some uh, random hauntings. Uh, This is... uh, Something I was talking about on the group, I was trying to get people to like, hey, you know, do you have any cases you know of that might be interesting? And there was actually a uh, member who suggested that we should maybe just talk about some like famous hauntings, you know, in the U.S. And uh, that's Sarah, Sarah Dungan. So she's like a list of the most haunted places in the U.S. So I didn't really go off of like, you know strictly like uh one like like a giant list but this is a decent list of the most haunted places in the u.s from a website called the conde nast traveler and this is fairly recent it's a list uh that was created in in october of uh, 2018 so what we're going to do we're going to take turns and then after we read uh the little blurbs about each uh, haunted place, maybe give some thoughts on them. So the first one is the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. The the castle-like Eastern State Penitentiary 
took solitary confinement to new levels when it was built in 1829. Prisoners lived alone, exercised alone, and ate alone. When an inmate left his cell, a guard would cover his head with a hood so it couldn't see or be seen. Damn. The prison had to abandon its solitary system due to overcrowding from 1913 until it closed in 1970, although the forms of punishment did not get any less severe, including chaining an inmate's tongue to his wrists as one example. How the fuck do you pull that off? I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to know. Yeah, like, the tongue's, like, constantly slick. You know, like, how are you going to... Anyway, I don't want to think about that. The site now welcomes thousands of visitors every year, both for its museum and ghost tours. Reported paranormal happenings have included disembodied laughter, shadowy figures, and pacing footsteps. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> it probably wouldn't sound like that. <laughs> like a cackling witch. <laughs> hey! hey! <laughs> Probably be more. Okay, Goofy. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably be more like, you know, uh, subtle. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. You're going to die. <laughs> it just, it just reminds me of that, uh, uh, what was it? Um, a Haunting or whatever, that show, yeah. Haunting. It That's pretty decent. Show. Reminds me of that this one episode where the guy or whatever is possessed and mm -hmm. he's like laughing at that and he's like, "You're all going to die," and it was just so corny but good yeah. at the same time. It sounded pretty creepy the way you're doing it. Maybe you're just a better actor. Maybe <laughs> that's. <what I'm> <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're like ghosts and stuff. <laughs> you should be like afraid of us. <laughs> I'm gonna kick your ass. <laughs> Shut up, Beavoth. You can't kick anyone's ass. You're see-through, dillweed. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, do we have any thoughts on that one? I don't know. I mean, I just... What are your thoughts how on How you chain someone's tongue to the wrist? That's my only thought on yeah, that. Yeah, well, yeah. But also, uh, it makes sense that that would be a place that would be haunted. I mean, there's a lot of negative... Oh, yeah, all the negative and vibes and shit, yeah. Up next, we got uh, Winchester Mystery House in ah. San Jose, California. Now, if you name something a mystery house, aren't you kind of setting it up for like to what? Hey, ghosts, you know, welcome. Well, that's the whole point. So the Winchester Mystery House might be one of the most disturbing construction projects in history. Following the death of her husband and child, Sarah Winchester, wife of the rifle maker's son, was informed by a seer that her family was killed by the ghosts of gunshot victims. To keep away the vengeful spirits, she commissioned the Victorian funhouse turned macabre dwelling that you see today. Some of the creepier features include staircases that lead directly into the ceiling, doors that open into brick walls, and windows that can take you to secret passages. Okay. Yep. There's a way for her to maybe find a way to trap the ghosts. You know trying to find a way to capture the ghost so she could get revenge. Now, it's also the basis of a really shitty, disappointing movie with Helen Mirren, which had a lot of potential, but was ruined by really lame jump scares and just uh, just terrible writing. Was it called Awful. Mystery House? It's called Winchester. Uh, Came out last year. 
So the next one is Hotel Monte Vista in Flagstaff, Arizona. Flagstaff's Hotel Monte Vista has its fair share of paranormal guests who have truly overstayed their welcome, including a long-term boarder who had a habit of hanging raw meat from the chandelier in room 210. Ew. This fucking gross. Why? I don't know. I didn't do it. <laughs> and two women who were thrown from the third floor and now attempt to asphyxiate male guests in their sleep. Shit. There's also reportedly an infant whose disturbing cries have sent staff mem members running upstairs from the basement. Actor John Wayne even once had a paranormal encounter here. I just want to know why the guy was hanging raw meat from a chandelier. Uh, what purpose does that serve? Uh, my guess is he's probably just fucking crazy. Really. Uh, Must have been uh, not totally insane because he's able to be a long-term boarder at a, at a fucking hotel. <laughs> Up next, we have Cahaba, Alabama. Alabama. You're not going to mention anything about like the 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 women that are trying to like choke guys to death. Like that's pretty intense. I mean, I wish this had more like meat on it, like a link to like an actual well, yeah, story. Yeah, I know. It's like I it's know. like they're saying that, but I mean, I don't know this this. This whole article seems a little on the cheeky side because at the end of, of this particular thing, they're like, book your stay today, exclamation point. So it kind of like fucks the credibility up a, a little bit because it's like, well, how? You yeah, know. well, I, I chose it because we don't have a whole lot of time. So it's like one of those things like I can't I can really like choose like a list that's like got like pages upon pages of information. So. Gentlemen, don't get caught pages on the page. Gentle. Sorry, REM song came to my head. Uh, Cahaba, Alabama, Alabama's first capital and famous ghost town, takes its name from the state's longest river, situated at the confluence of the Cahaba and the Alabama. It was abandoned after the Civil War, and its empty buildings, slave burial ground, and eerie cemeteries are now popular settings for ghost tours and stories of paranormal activity. The most famous tale is that of a luminous floating orb appearing in the former garden maze of Colonel C.C. Pegasus' house shortly after the colonel had been killed in battle. The phenomenon became known as Pegasus' ghost. It still attracts curious visitors to the site today. Uh, I fucking orbs, man. Like that is the weenie. That yeah. is the weeniest paranormal it is. thing yeah. ever. Like, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of paranormal investigators that are like, uh, they're like that too with orbs. Now, this site actually does have little hyperlinks to some more with with stuff of more information. Yeah, no, they do. So on the Hotel Monte Vista, this is from their website, from the actual hotel, and so these are some uh, of the other uh, ghosts that are. So, the bank robber. In 1973, men robbed a nearby bank. During the robbery, a bank guard shot one of the men. Despite their injured comrade, they decided to celebrate by stopping in a lounge to have a drink. The wounded man bled to death while enjoying his last drink. Since then, both patrons and staff have reported being greeted by an anonymous voice saying, Good morning! And there have also been reports of bar stools and drinks that seem to move on their own. The Woman of the Night. Years ago, Flagstaff's red light district could be found just south of the railroad tracks, just two blocks from Monte Vista. 
In the early 1940s, two prostitutes were brought to room 306. During their visit, they were killed and thrown from the third floor window onto the cold street below. Over the years, numerous guests have reported being awakened in the middle of the night and unable to return to sleep due to a feeling that they are being watched. A majority of the time, our male guests report the feeling of having hands placed over their mouths and throats and awakening, unable to breathe. The Meat Man, Room 220. The bizarre long-term border was known by a strange habit of hanging raw meat from the chandelier. In the early 1980s, the lodger was found in the room three days after his death. Not long after, a maintenance worker was working on a few repairs. When in need of a new fixture, he left the room, turned the lights off, and locked the door. Returning only a few minutes later, he found the television on at full volume, and the linens on the bed had been ripped and scattered around the room. Today, it is common for a television to act on its own accord, as well as the reports of cold male hands touching guests in their sleep. No means no! <laughs> So the next one is uh, Pine Barrens in New Jersey. The heavily forested f Pine Barrens spans over 1 million acres in seven counties in New Jersey. The area thrived during the colonial period, host to sawmills, paper mills, and other industries. People eventually abandoned the mills and the surrounding villages when coal was discovered to the west in Pennsylvania, leaving behind ghost towns and some say a few supernatural wanderers. The most popular Pine Barrens resident was without a doubt the Jersey Devil. According to legend, the creature was born in 1735 to Deborah Leeds, her 13th child with leathery wings, a goat's head, and hooves. It flew up to the Leeds chimney and into the barrens, where it has reportedly been killing livestock and creeping out South Jersey residents ever since. Now, I don't buy the Pine Barrens. That's one that I would not have included on here because, yes, it has a legendary... Uh, case associated with it with the Jersey Devil, but there's like nothing that really supports its haunted status other than the Jersey Devil. Legend. I heard that was like an awful part of New Jersey. Yeah, the Pine Barrens. Well, I mean, it's called the Pine Barrens. <laughs> that's kind of a cool. That's kind of a cool name for for an yeah. area. Um, and I am checking something on my phone right now, Mike. So if you could do the next one too, I would greatly appreciate it. And this, so, this is yeah, sure. this is actually like right. The, the my keyboard player Stephanie is actually from St. Augustine. Well, that's where she lives mm -hmm. now. And um, so this is uh, St. Augustine Lighthouse in Florida. Yeah, this is like well, I've been to St. Augustine several times. So this is like right in my backyard. You should go to the lighthouse. I know, yeah, I should. I didn't know about that. Now that I know, maybe I will. The St. Augustine Lighthouse is visited by nearly 225,000 people annually, but it is just as well known for its otherworldly visitors. Several tragic events occurred at the now historic site and that have contributed to the alleged paranormal activity. One of the first was when the lighthouse keeper fell to his death while painting the tower. His ghost has since been spotted watching over the grounds. Another event was the horrific death of three young girls who drowned when the cart they were playing in broke and fell into the ocean. Ugh, that is really horrific. Today, visitors claim to hear the sounds of children playing in and around the lighthouse. Yeah, I wonder if uh, that's open to... Uh, I, I kind of see what time the, uh, the hours are on that. Like, I, re I, I didn't know that uh, that was a haunted location. Could be an exclusive. On the on the on the set with jaw or on the scene. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike, get the next one. 
So the San Fernando Cathedral is the next one in San Antonio, Texas. The oldest church in Texas holds El Mariachi Mass on Sunday and is a stunning example of Gothic revival architecture. But come nightfall, you'd have to you'd have to be something of a daredevil to enter its myth-ridden grounds. When construction workers started renovating the church in 1936, they unearthed the bones, nails, and tattered military uniforms near the altar, which some believe to belong to three soldiers of the Alamo. Since the disturbing incident, visitors have reported shadowy figures and orbs in their photographs, as well as ghosts in the back of the church itself. Such otherworldly inhabitants include a man dressed in black and figures in hooded monk-like clothing. Alright, that's pretty fucking creepy. <laughs> hooded figures. Yeah. Yes, that is very creepy. Um, Alright, so up next we got Lincoln... Park Zoo, Chicago. Lions and tigers and ghosts? Oh my. As it turns out, one of Chicago's most popular attractions is also one of its most haunted, with much more than just chimpanzees roaming the grounds. From the 1840s to the 1850s, the heart of Lincoln Park is uh, served as the city cemetery, housing some 35,000 bodies. The cemetery was eventually moved due to its proximity to the city's water supply, ew, and most of the bodies, but not, but not all of them were moved along with it. If you've ever seen any horror movie ever made, you know that messing with burial grounds yep. is the easiest way to get haunted. And You only moved the headstones! <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, that is better. Um... Uh, as it, as if walking above several thousand corpses isn't creepy enough, famed parapsychologist Ursula Bielski once said of the area, without a doubt, the most active site I've investigated, and people have reported seeing ghosts there since it opened in uh, 150 years ago. Since it opened in 150 years ago? Why would you even put the N in there? It'd be since it opened 150 years ago. There's no need yeah, for the N. Yeah, yeah, typo. We are sad to report, however, that no animal ghosts have been spotted as of yet. Yeah, that's what I was going to be. Like, if it was animal ghosts, like, that would have been, like, really trippy. An- cool, animal though. ghosts are never really a thing, it seems. If it would, if yeah. they were, I think that'd be pretty comical. <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, wasn't there uh, uh, for the? I mean, a ghost lion. I mean, you know, like ghosts of like the zoo animals. Like that would be. Did the devil's backbone? Wasn't there like a ghost wolf that like possessed some guy? He like maybe, jumped yeah. into the guy's body. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The guy was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> such great acting. Uh, the the how about you take uh, three? Because I took three. Okay. Mizpah Hotel, Tenopah, Nevada. Mizpah Hotel opened in 1907 as one of Nevada's first luxury hotels, complete with solid granite walls and Victorian-era decor, and it was fully restored in 2001, but the swanky hotel has a history as blood-red as its scarlet furnishings, one it proudly embraces. Legend has it that a woman died on the fifth floor and her soul never left the building. The quote, Lady in Red, now reportedly makes her presence known by whispering in men's ears and leaving pearls from her broken necklace on guest pillows. The Mizpah honors, or capitalizes on, her reputation by letting visitors stay in the Lady in Red suite or order the Red Lady Bloody Mary at the hotel restaurant. Eh, I don't blame them for capitalizing on it. 
kind of kind of sick, but okay. Yeah. That's what you want to do. New Amsterdam Theater, New York City. All of Thomas's story reads like the plot of a Broadway musical. She came to the Manhattan at the age of 16, quickly won the title of, quote, the most beautiful girl in New York City, and became a member of the legendary Siegfried Follies. She died in 1920 at the age of 25 after swallowing mercury pills. Yeah, because that was apparently medicine back then. Really? What the, I was going to say, what the fuck are mercury pills? But it wasn't long before her specter was spotted backstage at the New Amsterdam in Follies regalia and carrying a blue pill bottle. She's since been spotted many times at the theater, almost exclusively by men. Theater employees still bid good morning and good night to her portraits hanging backstage. The Gettysburg Battlefield in Pennsylvania. The Battle of Gettysburg was one of the bloodiest in American history, with somewhere around 50,000 young men dying in the three-day conflict. Many of the soldiers never received a proper burial after their untimely deaths, and many believe the souls of these men now wander the field to look for their weapons and comrades. That one makes sense, too, because there's just a shit, like, once again, shit ton of negative energy. Um, it, it, really horrific events happen there that would have imprinted the land, you know, possibly psychically. So, um, yeah, and that's been covered on on, on the show. Yeah, on Unsolved Mysteries. Mysteries. Yeah, it's been covered. I think there were several uh, segments. One of, like, reenactors who saw... The one that really, like, got me is the one where they go in the elevator and then go down, you know? Yeah, and it's like a whole scene from some uh, kind of operate makeshift operating room. Civil, Civil War operating, you know, room. Yeah. Moon River Brewing Company, Savannah, Georgia... Considered one of Savannah's most haunted locations, the Moon River Brewing Company has played many roles before becoming the beer house slash restaurant it is today. The building began as a hotel in 1821, then served as a hospital for yellow fever victims during the Civil War. Needless to say, the building saw a lot of death during that time, and many believe that some of the macabre energy... Uh, still lingers. Many of the restaurant's guests have reported seeing a woman in period clothing staring <laughs> period clothing. <laughs> that that could take on a whole different connotation. Yeah, but they're not talking about that kind of period clothing. Uh, was this, does this come from a BuzzFeed article all of a sudden? Period clothing? Uh, staring down from the top of the staircase. Other sightings include a taunting spirit named Toby in the basement and a spirit named Mr. Johnson upstairs. But as Mrs. Johnson. Oh, Mrs. Johnson. But as long as you stick to the main level, you should be able to enjoy your beer in total peace. Okay. Why wouldn't you want to have a beer with ghosts, though? That would make it a lot more interesting. <laughs> Dude, I mean, you know, I, I like, I like, like, you know, mysteries and paranormal shit and all that stuff's great. But honestly, when it comes to, like, ghosts and shit like that, I, I kind of need to, like, I mean, I don't really want to see it, but, like, I kind of need to experience that, you know, see it, feel it, touch it, whatever. Well, I mean, that's what a lot of people say, you know, you, you need to believe it. Like, I can you buy know, the whole UFO thing for some reason a lot easier than I can, like, ghosts. Well, I mean, ghosts, I, here's the thing with ghosts. I, I don't know if they're necessary spirits. Like, I, I buy into the sort of theory that it could just be psychic energy that's manifesting itself in some way. So it could have been, you know, there was some sort of intense moments or, or events that occurred in this location, and it's imprinted itself uh, in that area. 
So that's why some people see, you know, specters and somewhat, you know, apparitions. But really what they are is just kind of just kind of kind of like memories that have like been imprinted. Um, but it's one of those things where, yeah, it is rather unbelievable. But, you know, UFOs, I mean, aliens could be considered rather unbelievable to a lot of people as well. Uh, and, and there's a good, there's a good amount of people who have seen, you know, these apparitions, things like that. It's kind of hard for me to be like, oh yeah, it's just, no, it's just bullshit and they're just crazy. I'm not saying it's bullshit, but I'm saying for me personally, it's like, I'm not saying that I'm not denying their experience. I'm just saying that like in the, like with this particular thing, like I kind of have to like see it myself to really, but well, I, you know, like I, I totally understand that. So the next one is the Queen Mary, which was also, I think, featured in uh, the first ghost cases that they talked about. Aside from the brief stint in a warship in World War II, as a warship, not in a warship, because I don't know how they'd be able to fit that in there, the RMS Queen Mary served as a luxury ocean liner from 1936 to 1967. During that time, it was the site of at least one murder or a sailor being crushed to death by a door in the engine room and children drowning in the pool. The city of Long Beach purchased the ship in 1967 and turned it into a hotel, and it still serves that purpose today, although the reported ghosts of the deceased passengers get to stay for free. For an extra dose of spine-tingling experiences, see if you can visit the ship's engine room, which is considered by many to be a hotbed of paranormal activity. And you actually had, you know, paranormal investigators who went there and recorded some tapes. I mean, the the one, I mean, the wrapping and stuff in there, that, that that was pretty pretty creepy like the knocking that they were yeah those recordings that where there shouldn't have been any noise yeah all right so up next we have uh pitock mansion portland oregon um oh i didn't know about one over here Hmm. oregonian pioneers henry and georgiana pitock decided to build their dream house when they reached their golden years oh that's nice someone else has the same name as my grandma cool not that uh, it's not that uh obscure. what georgiana mm-hmm. oh nice kind of a pretty name georgiana yeah in 1909 spurring the innovative design and construction of the pittock mansion oh that was kind of a sentence fragment <laughs> okay sorry about that whatever unfortunately the couple only got to enjoy their home for a few years before passing away georgiana in 1918 and henry in 1919 the building is now a public landmark where some strange occurrences have been reported, such as the smell of roses, Georgiana's favorite bloom, filling a room with no flowers in it, and a childhood painting of Henry moving uh, on its own from spot to spot within the house. Clearly, death was not enough of a reason for the Pitocks to vacate, vacate their beloved home. Why not? They didn't get to experience it that much when they were alive. Yeah, sure. The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Weston, uh, West Virginia. Was that the official? Yeah, I mean, was that the official name for it? The Lunatic Asylum. <laughs> yeah. Like that's uh, it's not very subtle, is it? No. The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum opened its doors to patients in 1864, and in the 1950s, the West Virginia facility reached its peak, housing more than 2,400 patients. Even though it was designed to only hold 250. Now, you can definitely see the problems there. The severe overcrowding led to inhumane conditions like the lack of heat and convalescence kept in cages. 
and patients started acting increasingly violent from starting fires to attacking staff members, which is understandable. The asylum finally closed in 1994. That long? Shit. But the souls of some patients are said to linger. Ghost tours are available for those wishing to see how some patients lived and died within the cramped halls. All right, there's like a million yeah. more of these. Well, there's actually like eight more. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We, we, we can finish All this. Right. <laughs> uh, Queen Anne Hotel, San Francisco. When it was built in 1890, this Victorian hotel in San Francisco served as an etiquette school for girls. It's since been reborn as a 48-room hotel, although remnants of the building's past life still linger. The ghost of Miss Mary Lake, the school's late headmistress, is said to haunt the hotel, particularly room 410, her former office. Ghosts who guests who stay in that ghosts guests who stay in that room might wake <laughs> up to find their clothes have been unpacked or the blankets closely tucked ar around them in bed. The ghost sure knows her etiquette when you agree. Like, how would you react to that? You'd be I'd, creeped I'd out. Freak, I'd freak seat. the fuck out and I'd leave instantly. That's how, I mean, if that actually happened, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not hanging around for that. I'd just be like, oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you would. My, Mike, um, Mike the Steel Brown. <laughs> It would be freaky, but I don't think I'd like leave. Cause I'd, I'd be like, "This is really fascinating." This is really you wouldn't leave. Yeah. Oh, I would fucking leave. I'd leave in a heartbeat. <laughs> what if we were we were staying there, you know, at the same hotel together? as like sort of an investigative sort of thing. You would leave. Uh, may, leave I, I guess there? if you were there, I might stay. Yeah, we could cuddle. So I think wasn't the Queen Anne also featured? On Unsolved Mysteries, and it sounds somewhat familiar to me. Maybe it was. Yeah, maybe it, it was sounds familiar. To, it sounds familiar to me too. Is that the one where the girl like went into the lake or something, killed herself? Does that make sense? Uh, the next one is the Calacasu Courthouse in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Tony Joe Henry was a former prostitute who reached national levels of infamy when she killed a man in cold blood in 1940. It took three trials for a jury to convict the charming Tony Joe. But she eventually became the first and only woman in Louisiana to be executed in the electric chair. However, her spirit is said to have remained in the courthouse where workers can feel her presence and even smell her burning hair. Ugh. Gross. Many claim she meddles with everyday life at the courthouse to make life more difficult for the employees, locking doors and fiddling with office equipment. How would you react to that Like if you were, you were working at some place and you kept dealing with that? Uh, I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't stay there. I, I, I mean, if that's like in the, uh, Tallman, not Tallman, uh, the, um, what if you really needed the job? Well, see, that's the beauty about being a, a DJ is I'm always at different yeah, places. The comedy, the comedy store ghost. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, I'm always at different places, but I mean, yeah, the comedy store ghost thing is kind of freaky. I, I, I could buy that. That would be a real thing. All the comedians who died and. You know. Anyway, Devil's Tramping Ground, North Carolina. Well, I mean, it's called the Devil's Tramping Ground. <laughs> Deep in the North Carolina woods, about 50 miles south of Greensboro, is a mysterious circle where no plant or tree will grow, nor any animals cross its path. The reason? Okay, Dr. Phil. <laughs> the reason the 40-foot clearing is where the devil comes to stomp and dance every night, at least according to local legends. 
The area has built up quite the eerie reputation over the years, with people claiming to see red eyes glowing there at night and placing their belongings in the circle in the evening, only to find them thrown back out the next morning, presumably so the devil can clear his dance floor. That one doesn't sound very legit. Well, the cool thing about that one is you can you can easily find out if it's true or not. Like it wouldn't take yep. very long to be like, oh, did did this happen or does this not happen? This uh-huh. literally just looks like a picture of my parents' backyard. <laughs> <laughs> like there's nothing special about this picture. This is like my parents' uh. backyard after my dad got done burning like a bonfire or something. <laughs> there's just like ashes in this black circle. So the next one is the Dock Street Theater in Charleston, South Carolina. One of the oldest theaters in America, the site in downtown Charleston has racked up a lot of tumults and history over the years. After a fire burned down the original theater, the Planters Inn was built on the spot, and it was converted back into a theater in the 1930s. The most flamboyant ghost here is Nettie Dickerson. Oh, Nettie. A prostitute who, legend has it, was struck by lightning while standing on the balcony of the hotel. Her shadow has been reported gliding around the second floor of the theater, crazy-eyed and dressed in a red gown. Also in otherworldly attendance, Junius Brutus Booth, a renowned 19th century actor and the father of Lincoln assassin John Wilkes, who used to frequent the inn. Now, I, crazy-eyed ghost. That, that's, that's the, like, why? She reminds me of Crazy Eyes Killer from the Curb Your Enthusiasm, anyway. Obscure reference there. Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast, Fall River, Massachusetts. I've never heard of this one before. Without a doubt, the most famous haunted bed and breakfast in New England is the Lizzie Borden House in Fall River. For those unfamiliar with the story, police accused Borden of brutally killing her father and stepmother with a hatchet in 1892. She was acquitted of the murders later that year. At the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast Museum, visitors can tour the house or spend the night, even staying in the room where Abby Borden was killed. Did we even talk about this case? This would be an interesting one. Yeah, I don't do think we did. Day. I don't think we did talk about this one. This was definitely on Unsolved Mysteries, though. Guests and employees have reported all kinds of strange activity in the house, including... Yeah, maybe we did, but it was like the the one that was reported on Unsolved Mysteries, one of the later seasons, right? Yeah. And like, it wasn't really that great. No. Yeah, I never really cared for that one. It was kind yeah. of stupid, especially the kids singing the little song at the, the jump rope rhyme at the beginning of the... <laughs> Lizzie Borden hacked her family to death. <laughs> that was an awful attempt, but fuck you people for judging me. No, but I mean, that that's probably similar to what it sounded like, like that Jesus loves me kid. No, God, please don't bring that up. <laughs> Guests and employees have reported all kinds of strange activity in the house, including weeping and footstep sounds, an apparition in Victorian era clothing, wandering the halls, doors opening and closing, and muffled conversations coming from vacant rooms. The Whaley House in San Diego. Thomas Whaley built this family estate in 1857 in San Diego on the former site of the city's first public gallows. Shortly after he moved in, he reported hearing the heavy footsteps of Yankee Jim Robinson, a drifter and thief who was hanged on the site for four years before the house was built. Whaley's family history ended up being filled with tragic deaths and suicides, many of which occurred inside the home itself. Some of the family members reportedly still haunt the landmark, often accompanied by cigar smoke and the heavy smell of perfume. This is a creepy, this is probably like one of the creepier houses I've seen uh, or creepier locations out of all these pictures so far. 
I love that. The Whaley house. Yeah, I, lo- I love yeah. that old fashioned car in front of the house. That's like total yeah. 19, like, what was that era? I think it might be an older picture anyway. Yeah, maybe. Crescent Hotel, Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Since its construction in 1886, the Crescent Hotel has served several purposes, luxury resort, conservatory for young women, junior college. But the strangest mark on its history came in 1937 when it got a new owner, Norman G. Baker. Baker was a millionaire who who decided to pose as a doctor, despite having no medical training, and turned the hotel into a hospital that could, quote, cure cancer. He was eventually found out and run out of town, although reports say that his spirit found its way back to the site and found some otherworldly company, too. The now-operating Crescent Hotel is said to be haunted by at least eight ghosts, ranging from a five-year-old girl to a bearded man wearing Victorian clothing. The Masonic Temple in Detroit. With its 16 floors, 1,000-plus rooms, and gothic facade, the Masonic Temple is one of the most imposing additions to Detroit's skyline. According to rumors, there is also more to, to it than meets the eye like hidden passageways and staircases. The most famous urban myth associated with the temple, however, is that of its architect, George D. Mason. Legend has it that Mason went bankrupt funding the construction and then leapt to his death from the roof. You'll be hard-pressed to find the facts to back up this tale, but it certainly does help explain people's reports of a ghost climbing the steps to the roof of the building. Isn't the Masonic, isn't that like where a lot of people have like conspiracy theories and well, shit? the Stone Masons. About the Masons, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Poinsett Bridge, Greenville, South Carolina. Built entirely out of stone in 1820, the oldest bridge in South Carolina is also one of the state's most haunted spots. The Poinsett Bridge is believed to be frequented by the ghost of a man who died in a car accident there in the 1950s, as well as one of a, one of a slave. Another eerie legend tells of a Mason who died during the construction and is now entombed inside. Ooh. Can you imagine that? Uh. Visitors to the site have allegedly experienced everything from floating orbs and lights to disembodied voices. The orbs thing, yeah, it's like, come on. But, like, stuff like in the Entity case, where they, like, have photos of, like, like crazy shit, and then had, you know, uh, all different types of light streaks and stuff like that. And, you know, that, that, that's one of those cases that I, I really do feel is it's like I, I don't know if it's like 100 percent proof, but like it's it's, it's pretty damn uh, the entity case. <laughs> the, some, the entity case was the uh, was the three good old boys who li- were no that- different entity case. I'm talking about the entity case that a book was, uh, you know, there was a book because there was actually the author was there oh, okay. along with a paranormal okay yeah because there was a unsolved mysteries episode called the or a segment yeah. called the entity and it was that loud mm. set yeah, yeah anyway so the next one is the myrtles plantation this was definitely an unsolved mysteries episode this is a saint francisville louisiana so built in 1796 by general david bradford the myrtles plantation is considered to be one of america's most haunted sites the house is rumored to be on top of an indian burial ground and is home to at least 12 different ghosts Legends and ghost stories abound, including the story of a former slave named Chloe who had her ear chopped off by her master after she was reportedly caught eavesdropping. She got her revenge by poisoning a birthday cake and killing two of the master's daughters, but was then hung by her fellow slaves. Chloe now reportedly wanders around the plantation wearing a turban to conceal her severed ear. Yeah, Unsolved Mysteries expounded on that. She poisoned... Uh, the family, uh, she didn't mean to kill them. She just wanted to, 
um, get them just sick enough to where she could nurse them back to health and get into their good graces. Um, but then some of them ended up dying, and then it was apparently a mixed mob of people, both black and white. It wasn't just uh, slaves. So, I mean, if that does anything for anyone. Uh, the Stanley Hotel, Estes Park, Colorado. The Stanley Hotel's stately Georgian architecture and world-renowned whiskey bar have lured travelers to Estes Park since opening in 1909. But the hotel reached new levels of fame after aspiring Stephen King... Uh, inspiring Stephen King to create the fictional Overlook Hotel from The Shining. Oh, that's what this place is. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That eerie association aside, many other ghost sightings and mysterious piano music have been connected to the hotel. The Stanley Hotel leans into its reputation quite cleverly, offering nightly ghost tours and psychic consultations from the in-house Madame Vera. <laughs> so yeah, that's... that's uh... Though, though, uh, that's our thoughts and uh, readings of 26 different uh, hauntings across the U.S. There's probably more, but I, I think that's enough. But anyway, uh, yeah, I don't really have anything else, else to add about the, those spooky uh, places. Yeah, no, nor do spooky I. Spooky spots. Those are that, those are some good uh, some good spots got there. All right, guys. Now you know about the lighthouse. Yeah, I, I need to go check that out. <laughs> Stephanie, if you're listening to this, let's go check it out. Um, that's the end of the podcast for uh, for this week, at least. Glad to have Mike back, although it was nice doing a whole interruption-free podcast last week. <laughs> hey, I thought I did better this time. No, you did. You, 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 you did all right. We're never we're gonna, we're never going <laughs> to eliminate all of the interruption, but you know we can at least we can minimize it as much as possible. Anyway, if you want more of me and Mike separately, but entertainingly equally, you can find us on YouTube. Uh, Mike is youtube.com slash OCP communications. And uh, he's a movie guy. He does uh, mainly movie reviews. What is the last movie you talked about, Mike? The Ambulance, which is a Larry Cohen film. And it deals with uh, this ambulance is going around uh, in New York, just picking up people and taking them away. And... They end up getting uh, whisked to a secret location, and they're going to be sold to the medical black market. Oh, so, sounds very... Yeah. Uh, it's where, where a vehicle uh, of mercy becomes a murder machine. <laughs> very nice. Uh, is that a recent one, or is that like an old one? It's an old one. It came out in 1990. It has, it, it has the distinction of having the first Stan Lee cameo. Long before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the ambulance had Stan. Wait, is that a Marvel movie? No, it's not. Why would? But it does take place. It does have the lead character, Josh, played by by uh, Eric Roberts. He actually works at Marvel. He's an artist, and there's actually shots that are that take place inside Marvel's headquarters at the time. Oh well, in the early nineties. Well, look at Stan Lee is there. Look at the ant uh, playing playing himself. Right on. So you can go check that out if you want to check out my YouTube channel. It's YouTube.com/slash Dancing with Ghosts. Uh, speaking of ghosts, <laughs> we just put out uh, our music video. Well, not just put it out. We put it out like a month ago, but whatever. Who's counting? Uh, actually, it was about two weeks ago at this point um, for Eyes Wide Open. You should go check that out. But my most recent video is on the 
cancellation of the Woodstock 50th anniversary festival. And you feign surprise on the on the thumbnail. Uh, yeah, on the <laughs> thumbnail, I'm like, what? No, because I'm not surprised. I'm not. I'm not at all surprised that um, this. Th that was Josh's attempt to do those like cliche thumbnails that like everybody seems to be. I doing. was doing it, was it just... in a very uh, in a cheeky manner. Yeah. I wasn't actually being like yeah. you know. I wasn't because you you see what I mean like uh oh and it pisses me off they're... so bad the stupid faces some people make on their YouTube thumbnails. Good God! Oh, like I want to like <laughs> slap their stupid. There's this one YouTuber named RGT85. He does like retro game shit. He yeah. he is the yeah. one of the most bizarre looking motherfuckers I've ever seen. Very just just very ugly. Like very his face his face <laughs> pisses you off so bad to look at. And all his thumbnails, he's got his goofy ass looking face on everyone and he's like doing the the Macaulay Culkin Home Alone 2, you know, like ah! <laughs> where you're like your your hands are on your face and your mouth spread yeah. open yeah god yes yeah. he does that shit all the time he's such fucking clickbait bullshit i hate that part about youtube but anyway i did that on my recent thumbnail but it was in a mocking way it wasn't in like a it wasn't in like uh, oh i'm trying to get views kind of way but no the woodstock 50th anniversary festival i mean they can say whatever they want about um permits and all this that and the other it what it boils down to is they they fucked up the lineup they got too many folky indie bands that suck uh that are sleepy boring not entertaining the bill wasn't good and there just isn't uh probably an audience audience interest i mean they they went from uh the the uh, county where the, the festival was going to be held tim o'hearn the administrator for the county he uh, lowered the audience expectation from 102,000 down to only 75,000 over the yeah. span of the three days. I, I also I also think that the fire festival debacle did not help things at all when it comes to. Well, music I mean, festivals. you know, you're Woodstock, and and you haven't your last concert, your last festival you put on was back in 1999. You know, yeah, and that was a disaster too. So a lot of people had that in the back of their minds. Yeah, but I mean, at least uh, if if they came out with a comparable lineup to the lineup that they had back then, people still would have went. Cause, I mean, Coachella Coachella is oh, yeah. drawing huge numbers, well, yeah. and well, Coachella is also it's not just that Coachella is like become this sort of like ritual. It's it's like, more uh, of a place uh, to be uh, seen than it is about the artists. Yeah, because yeah. there's there's a lot of you know, uh, and it's not that's not how it started, right? And you know, we talked about that when we were talking about Fire yeah. Festival. So yeah, that's the last video I did. So go go check out my channel, give it some love, and uh, yeah, it's for uh, as for everything else, man. Just just hang in there, guys. You know, hang in there and and, and live. Damn it, you know, grab yeah. life by the balls. You know, be like that uh, motivational poster with that little kitten that just yeah, hang on. in there. Just you know, hang, hang on there. for dear life. Until next time, have a good rest of your week. Goodbye. See ya. Ladies and gentlemen, my new album, Hex, is finally available on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else where music can be found. Also, we still have our special edition physical CD available at bandcamp.com. Check the link in the description of this podcast. Now enjoy some of the samples from my new CD. The Justice.